I want to talk with you first a little bit about one of the prophets. Now I want to kind of talk about myself just a little bit. Um, I've got this book. It's called The Bible for Busy People, Book One, the Old Testament. It's out of print. This is, these are the only copies I have in that box back there. They're 15 bucks a piece. And it says Hep Sef. So if you want some of uh, these books, they're $15 a piece. They're a basic look at every book in the Old Testament. Covers all the, the minor prophets that we're talking about this, this, uh, week. Uh, I should say minor doesn't mean that they're less valuable, you know. Uh, I guess you could say that uh, I am a minor prophet, and uh, I think uh, Mr. Phillips is a minor prophet. I think his wife is, and I know my wife is. Uh, there are places in Scripture, we started out with Joel back there in our Bible study, and Joel says that both men and women will prophesy. Sons and daughters will prophesy. Now, God equalizes women with men in the, in the New Testament. Now, if you look at the Scriptures and you're honest with the Scriptures, you're going to see that under, under grace, God has put men and women on the same level, the way they were in the Garden of Eden. I don't know if you've thought about that, but Adam and Eve, you know, Adam sort of married to himself. I don't know if you ever you know, thought about that, but he was married to something made out of his own side, uh, his wife. And they were called Adam. The two of them. Adam means man or mankind. And so here's a man and a woman called Adam, and then they sin. And as soon as they sin, you remember Adam had already named all the animals. As soon as they sinned, God said to Adam, you must rule over her even though she'll want to rule over you. And so Adam named her just like he named the animals. He named her Chava in Hebrew. I don't know how they get Eve out of that, but that's okay. Uh, the mother of all the living. And so the very act of naming the animals made Adam Lord of the animals. And the very act of naming Eve made Adam the Lord of Eve. And so in the Old Testament era, you remember, we had a patriarchal system. The men ruled and the women were simply property to be owned. And uh, it, there was no equality. Only men could bear the sign of the covenant, which was circumcision. Women could not. And then John the Baptist came. And then Jesus came. And now it's not circumcision, it's baptism. And women can be baptized right along with men. Jesus equates men and women. Go to 1 Corinthians, if you don't believe me, go to 1 Corinthians 7, take a piece of paper, 
draw a line down the middle and write what he says about men on one side and women on the other. And you will discover, under grace, equality. Okay? We're not like the Taliban. We're not like Islam that teaches that women are less than men. Now, what I want to share with you today is that men and women can both prophesy, both can preach. Uh, women must preach under the authority of the men. And men may preach under the authority of the other men. In other words, there's always a reciprocal relationship between the leaders of the church. Well, here's a guy. You can turn to the book of Jonah if you want to. You all know the story. Somebody said it's a whale of a story. But uh, it's not a whale that ate Jonah. We'll talk about that in a minute. There are so many miracles in the book of Jonah that most people just kind of write it off as being a parable. I had a professor at the University of Dallas when I was working on a doctorate degree there that got up in class and said, I believe that Jonah is a historical parable. And I asked, his name was Roch Karetsky. Uh, he, was, he was run out during the Nazi oppression in Germany. He's still there teaching. He's an old man, but he's amazing. Uh, I asked him after class about this. I said, if it's a parable, Jesus says, as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish, Three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the earth. And I said, does that mean that the resurrection, the, the death of Jesus and all that's also a parable? Oh, no. Oh, no. If You, you have a problem if you start taking certain scriptures, uh, not by what they're meant to be. This is a scripture that starts out the way the book of Ruth starts out. It's simply history. And it's just as sober history as the book of Ruth. There's a phrase in Hebrew, Vayahi, and it happened, that starts out both those books. So this is history just like Ruth is history. If you've read the book of Ruth, a little, little book, only two books in the Bible named after women, both of them are in the Old Testament, which is pretty amazing. Uh, one of those women lived in a foreign land, and one of those women came from a foreign land. And Ruth is in the lineage of Jesus. She was a Moabite. She came out of Moab. Remember where Moab came from? I'm sure you do. Lot and his two daughters you read that story, it'll shake you up a little, make you realize that incest is nothing new. It went on all the way back in Genesis. Lot's two daughters got him drunk two nights in a row and became pregnant from him. And uh, both of them gave birth to children, Ammon and Moab. And so here's a woman whose offspring of incest, who comes into the lineage of Jesus, in Matthew chapter 1. 
So God will use what he can get. He'll even use people like me sometimes, people like you. So here we are in the book of Jonah. God will use people who are rebellious, who reject his word. We were talking earlier about one of the kings, Manasseh, that reigned for 52 years. And for 50 years, he was a worshiper of Baal, and he sacrificed his own son in the fire. He was a horrible person. He put the prophet Isaiah in a hollow log and sawed the log in half. Terrible. But in the last two years, he repented, and God forgave him all that 50 years. Does this tell you anything about God? Jesus dying on the cross, stretching out his arms to die, tells me that God will do anything to save us. He loves us so much, he'll do anything. Thanks, Sam, for that communion meditation, and Vanessa for that song, and so so glad to see Harold and Cindy still here working. And even though we are rebellious, God uses us. I'm looking right now at Jonah. This guy is the second of all the prophets probably in time in the Old Testament. Joel was first back in the early ninth century B.C., and then here's a guy that comes along in the later part of the 8th century B.C. He was a prophet in the northern kingdom of Israel. Uh, it was called Israel or Ephraim by, because of its largest tribe. And he prophesied up there, and there's a prophecy back in Kings that talks about what he said. And then God said to him, I want you to go to Nineveh and preach the gospel to the Ninevites. And he said, okay. And he went down and got on board a ship and went to Spain, the opposite end of the universe in those days, Tarshish. Today the city is called Tartesus in Spain. He was going to go all the way out to the west instead of going east and north to Nineveh. And so he's out on the sea, and he thinks he's left God behind. See, the Jewish view, and almost all the views in the ancient world about their God, is that God is a local God. He's the God of Israel. And uh, remember Nahum, the Syrian who had leprosy, and Elisha said, if you'll just go wash in the, in the Jordan seven times, you baptize yourself seven times, you'll be healed. And he drove off in anger because he didn't believe it. And one of his servants said, Master, if he'd asked you to do something hard, wouldn't you have done it? And he said, yeah. Well, this is not hard. So he went over and baptized himself seven times in the river, Jordan. And it came up the seventh time, and his skin was as pure and white as a newborn baby. 
And he believed. And he went back to Elisha and said, listen, can I dig up some of Israel's dirt to take back with me so I can worship Yahweh on that dirt? See, he thought it was just a local god. Elisha didn't say, oh, no, you can, you can go and you need to look at God as being a God over all night. He didn't even bother. He just said, sure, take some dirt. Isn't that amazing? They thought all the gods were localized. So here's Jonah going out in the ocean thinking he's out of the presence of God. That's what the book says, away from the presence of Yahweh. And all of a sudden, out on that Mediterranean Sea, which is usually balmy and peaceful, there came up a huge storm. And the storm hurled that ship before the wind. The people were terrified. They threw out all their cargo. That shows you that human life is a little more valuable than stuff. And... Uh, <laughs> And so, there's a message to my wife, human life is a little more valuable than stuff. Um, finally, they start casting lots to try to figure out, why, did, why is this storm on us like this? And the lot fell on Jonah. And they ask him, who's your God? Where are you from? He says, I am from Israel. And my God is the God of, of uh, earth and the sea, he said. He, he figured it out. God's not limited to Israel. He's out there in the Mediterranean, too. He said, this, this uh, terrible storm is on account of me. So Jonah ran from God, but God found him. You know, God knows where you are. Have you heard the story about a prophet from here in Oklahoma, a preacher, who was on vacation, and a woman in the church saw a number in her mind and wrote it down real quick? He, he and his wife had stopped at a McDonald's, and he didn't want McDonald's. He walked over next door. They went to get something in McDonald's, and he went next door. And he was walking by in the old days, back when they had cell, when they had, uh, you know, phones alongside the road. And uh, he was walking past a bank of phones, and all of a sudden he hears a phone ring. This is really strange. And he he listened. He walked on. Pretty soon he stopped, went back, and picked up the phone. It was a lady from his church asking him to pray for her. Explain that to me. He said, when I hung up that phone, I knew God knew where I was. <laughs> Folks, He not only knows where you are, He knows who you are inside and out. He knows whether your outer life is a reflection of your inner life. According to Psalm 139, He knows every word before it's even on my tongue. He knows every thought. He reads my thoughts. He's known all things from before the foundation of the world. Did it ever occur to you that nothing ever occurred to God? Think about that a minute. Nothing. God never went, oh, you know... I love it when it says, the Lord remembered Noah. Oh, yeah, Noah. You know, 
No, he, I mean, he knows all things from the very beginning. He is the past master of all the knowledge that there is. He's the creator of it all. So he knew that Jonah was going to run away. He knew where Jonah was. He knows where you are. He knows where I am. I believed in Jesus from the time I was a kid. I knew it was true. But I refused to repent. And it wasn't until I was 20 years old that God finally broke through to me and got my attention. I had known it was true for years. I just ran away from God. I rebelled. I was going up a Baptist preacher's steps one time from his basement. His wife was downstairs ironing. She said, Mark, I think you're running away from being a minister. And I laughed. I thought it was funny. I was, I was almost 20 years old at the time. And I, I couldn't get that out of my mind. That I'm running away from being a minister. And finally, my right at the end of my second year at Southern Illinois University, I don't know if you know about that school, the Salukis, SIU, Southern Illinois University was in Playboy magazine, was marked as the number two party school in the United States after the University of Miami. And I was part of that scene. And all the time I was in that, I knew that God had a call on my life, but I was running away from Him. Anybody here run away from God? You know the story of the parable? Uh, the story of the prodigal son. We call him prodigal. That word means wasteful. He was a runaway son. He went into a foreign country. Have you ever done that? Jonah is trying to get as far from God as he can, and God knows where he is and sends a storm, and the lot falls on Jonah, and finally they threw off everything trying to save Jonah, and he kept saying, you've got to throw me into the ocean, and the storm will stop. He said, I am a servant of Yahweh, the true God of heaven and earth. So they threw him out finally, because the storm just raged worse and worse. The ship threatened to break up. When they threw him out into the water, there was an instant calm. You know, just like when Jesus said, peace be still. Instant calm, and you could see the other ships standing against the reflection in the water. And the people aboard that ship offered sacrifice to Yahweh. They were converted because of Jonah being caught out there at sea. Well, what happened to Jonah when he's thrown into the ocean? See, he first runs from God, and then here comes this, you know the technical name for this fish? It was not a whale. Whales can't swallow anything big. The technical name for this fish is a canis carcharius, which in Latin means dogfish. A dogfish is about the size of a small school bus. It has enough 
size in its gullet to swallow a horse. They know that because they have rendered a dogfish and found inside that dogfish the skeleton of a horse. They also found kegs of nails. They found all kinds of stuff inside these things. And this thing had been prepared by God, it says. And it had swallowed Jonah. And chapter 2 says, Jonah ran to God. Now I think, if I had been swallowed by a great fish in total darkness... Now, this thing, God had prepared it so it was sick. It didn't have any acid in its stomach. If you don't think this can happen, you need to read the history of what happened to people at sea. There was a guy who was swallowed by one of these things on a whaling vessel. He was out on a small boat, and a whale had hit that boat, and everybody went flying. And this guy was swallowed by a dogfish. And when the dogfish was caught, they kept it up alongside the ship, and they brought it up on board, and they began rendering it. And when they took the stomach out and put it on the deck, they saw it moving. And they cut a slice on the side of that stomach, and a boot came out with a foot in it. And they opened that thing the rest of the way up and pulled him out. He was completely blind. His skin was completely white from the acid in that fish. He was already starting to digest. For the rest of his life, he was blind. And he learned to be a cobbler, you know, to work on shoes. And he worked with his hands the rest of his life, from the sea to a cobbler's shop in complete darkness. Now, if, if God, can, if a fish like that can swallow a man in a situation like that back in the 1800s, it can swallow a man like Jonah. But God had prepared this fish so it was sick. It didn't have any acid. So Jonah's in the fish three days and three nights. And if you read the second chapter, like he ran from God, he's now running to God. I think I would too. He prayed from the belly of that fish. He prayed wishing that God would hear him from all the way back over in Jerusalem in the temple. He prayed, wanting to be set free from that situation. He said, I will obey whatever you want. You read that second chapter, and you'll see Jonah's prayer. He ran from God. He ran to God. And then chapter 3, he runs with God. When Jonah, the end of the three days and three nights came up, this sick fish came up on the beach and vomited Jonah up on the beach and then wiggled out and went away. You know, God will use anything. He used donkey to correct a prophet. Here he used a fish to correct another prophet. So Jonah is basically... You know, fish barf. And he's up on, he's up on the, uh, beach. And, and the word of God. Have you ever thought of all the words we use for vomit? Ralph. 
calling Ralph on the great white phone, you know. Uh, I mean, there's all kinds of things that we use for that. But this is whale puke, okay? Jonah is thrown up on the land. He's probably got some seaweed in his hair. And he's on the, on the land now, and God comes to him a second time and says, uh, I want you to go to Nineveh. And this is the time Jonah obeys. And Jonah goes to Nineveh, and he hates Nineveh. He hates the people of Nineveh. It's a story of bigotry and racism. Jonah didn't want anything to do with any Gentiles. You know, kind of like Peter in the book of Acts. He didn't want anything to do with any Gentiles. He was sticking with the Jews, even though he heard the Lord say, Go to all nations. They stayed in Jerusalem for 15 years. And if the persecution hadn't been so bad, he would have stayed there probably the rest of his life. But he was driven out. They tried to kill him, you remember, put him in jail. An angel came in and whacked him on the side and said, Get up and let's go. And He was chained to four soldiers. And the chains just melted off. You've read that story in the book of Acts. And he walked out and all the doors opened, you know, like going to a grocery store, you know, all the doors opened in front of him. He gets out in the streets of Jerusalem and the angel goes away and he looks around and realizes he's not dreaming. That's a great story. I like that. See, God, if He can bring a man out of a jail like that with all these guards standing right there wide awake at their position, He can bring Jonah out of a fish. And Jonah's called a second time. Now, if God had called me the second time after I'd been in a fish for three days, I figure I would obey Him. And He went to Nineveh, long trip probably 800 miles or so. When he got there, this is way up in the northwest, up in Mesopotamia. He walked through the city. The city had 120,000 people. Now, in those days, that was a huge city. Jerusalem, in most of its history, was under 30,000. And that was a big city back then. But here's a city with 120,000 people. At least, uh, depends on how you interpret that phrase, because it says they don't know their right hand from their left. That could be a reference to children. You know, 120,000 children plus all the adults. So he goes through the town and has a very short, oversimplified message. Repent, or in 40 days, God will destroy this city. That's it. Go another day's travel into the city. Repent, for in 40 days God will destroy this city. Not only did the people believe it, the king repented on his throne. He put on sackcloth. They put sackcloth on all the people. They even put, and that's a symbol, by the way, for, for repentance and sorrow. And they put sackcloth on their animals, their cattle, to remind them to be sorrowful for their sins. And they turned to God in repentance, 
And Jonah just gets madder and madder. And in the fourth chapter, I call it Jonah runs against God. You know, Jonah ran from God. He ran to God. He ran with God, preaching the Word. If you're preaching the Word, you're running with God. If you're telling people about Jesus, you're running with God. If you're not telling people about Jesus, how do you think God thinks of that? See, that's what's happening in so many of our churches. People aren't passing the good news on to others. What's the good news? Here's the good news. Jesus died on the cross to take away your sins. Not just yours, the sins of the whole world. Three times the Bible says that. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John the Baptist, a true prophet. The Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them, and giving to us the ministry of reconciliation. Our job is to make friends for God. And our message is, you are forgiven. Will you accept that forgiveness? It's as simple as that. When Jesus died, He took away the sins of the world. John, 1 John chapter 2 My little children, I write these things to you in order that you may not sin at all. But if anyone should sin, we have an advocate with the Father, a lawyer, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, who's the forgiveness for our sins, not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. You hear it? The world is forgiven. Now, Jesus tells us, forgive your enemies, love your enemies, pray for your enemies. He doesn't ask us to do anything that God's not already done. God forgave the world in the death of Christ. He died to take away our sins. And He was raised to make us right with God. Like Jonah, Jonah was brought out of the whale, brought out of the great fish, to say, repent or perish. And that's what he said. Now, our message is way easier than that, much better. Our message is you're forgiven. I don't care who you are. You're forgiven. I don't care what you've done. You're forgiven. That's why Jesus died. If He didn't die for your forgiveness, then He died for no reason. But He came and died for your forgiveness and mine and the whole world's. We have a, we have a universal message. I don't hear the preach. The preachers talking about this on radio or TV. I don't hear them saying the whole world is forgiven. Have you heard that? But that's our message. It's such good news. It's unbelievable. Jonah says, repent or perish. And the people repented. And so in chapter 4, Jonah ran from God, Jonah ran to God, Jonah ran with God, and now Jonah runs against God. When the people of Nineveh repent and God changes his mind and will not destroy them after 40 days, Jonah goes up on a hillside 
looking down at the city of Nineveh, wanting to see the fireworks. He wants to see God do to Nineveh what he did to Sodom and Gomorrah. He wants to see God judge Nineveh. But when they repented, it didn't happen. And Jonah was angry. Angry at God. Angry at himself for preaching. Angry at the Ninevites for repenting. And then he got angry about something entirely different. God sent a plant to grow up, a gourd plant to grow up and shade him. And then the next day after he was shaded... God prepared worms to eat that plant, and it died and shriveled away, and he's sitting out there in the hot sun, and he's angry at that. And God said, do you have a right to be angry at the plant? Let alone to be angry at me and the Ninevites and your message. Do you have a right to be angry about the plant? He says, I have every right You should take my life. I'd rather be dead. You know, that's incredible. That's the same thing Elijah said. Remember when he called down fire on the the altar? He said, If you are God, show these people that you're God. And Yahweh sent fire down and it devoured the sacrifice the altar, the bricks, the dust, and the water in the trench. That's fire, folks. That's God's fire. And then He, Spirit of the Lord comes upon Him. Here comes the rain. The king, King Ahab, the most evil of all the kings, hooked up his chariot and whipped him up, and they're running, and Elijah came and ran in front of the chariot all the way back 25 miles to the city of Samaria. Outran the chariot. And then he went out in the desert to get away from Jezebel, that evil king's wife, and was hiding out in the desert and said, Lord, take my life. I don't want to live. You know... These guys are, these prophets are real people. Here is a real bigot who hated the Gentiles in Nineveh and was so angry at God for forgiving them. He said, I knew you were a forgiving God. I knew if I told them you would forgive them. And he's moping and griping and complaining and crying. And God said, Are you right to complain about that plant? What about the people of Nineveh? There are 120,000 people there that don't know their right hand from their left. That may be a reference to their children. And he says there's also a lot of cattle there. That's how the book ends. Jonah being rebuked by God for being angry at God, Nineveh, himself, and the plant. Is there anything like that that makes you angry? That What about somebody that comes to Jesus at the last moment? You know, what about, what about the prodigal that returns? 
Remember who was angry? Remember who was upset most? The fattened calf. The fattened calf was the most upset. (laughs) Yeah, the older brother, the one who'd stayed at home. You know, those, those parables, why were those parables told? There were three parables told in a row. The lost sheep, remember the guy leaves his 99 and goes out and gets the one. The lost coin, the woman has a tiara of, of uh, what's called a drachma, the, the silver coin that's worth a month's wages. She's got ten of them. That's like a wedding band for a woman in those days. And she's lost one of those in a house. And she goes in and sweeps the whole house to find it. Finally, she finds it. Like the shepherd before her, the shepherd called his neighbors in for rejoicing. She calls her neighbors in for rejoicing. I found the coin. And here the boy wanders away from his dad, takes all his possessions, blows them with prostitutes, as the older brother points out, partying. He had lots of friends while he had money, but as soon as he lost the money, he was lost. He found himself in a pig lot. Can you imagine being in a pigsty, a Jewish boy? You know, Jews were not, I mean, they raised pigs. They kept them around to eat garbage and manure, but they never ate them because they were unclean. I always wondered why God talked about unclean and clean animals until I read a book called What the Bible Says About Healthy Living, written by a doctor, Rex Russell, M.D. He and another doctor took the animals, different flesh of different animals, and in a room of 100 degrees, which is about the temperature of the inside of our intestines, he took human intestinal flora, and put them in the clean and unclean animals and measured how fast they digested. And they found that the unclean animals digested very, very slowly. Crow and pork, catfish, uh, you know, unclean animals, lobster, shrimp. And then the clean animals digested very fast. The fastest of all was the deer. That's when they found out that they'd made their their scale too low because it was supposed to be a percentile scale, but the deer was 110 percentile. The deer is the fastest digesting animal. Venison. The slowest of all is pork and crow. The best of the unclean is the bear. Bear flesh digested at 62 percentile, but deer 110 percentile. The point is, God says certain animals are unclean because they're not for human consumption. Do I eat bacon? Yeah. Because Mark 7 says Jesus declared all foods clean. So they're okay for us, but you've got to make sure they're cooked. You know, if they're not cooked, if you take a ham and don't cook it, 
Today, most hams already cooked, but if you take it and don't cook it and eat it, you're going to get trichnosis, a worm that will eat the insides of you and kill you. you got to really, you know, when I cook ham, it's going to be pressure cooked all the way down until you can just stick a knife and it just falls through it. What I'm saying here is that clean and unclean, Jonah thought the Ninevites were unclean, but God saw them as clean because they repented. The unclean was really Jonah, wasn't it? Because he was mad at everybody because God showed mercy to these Gentiles. Which place are you? Are you running from God? Are you running to God? Are you running with Him? Or are you running against Him? You have to decide. I mean, you're in one of those positions. I hope we're all running with God. But I have a feeling some people in here might be running away from God. Maybe he wants you to be a preacher. Maybe he wants you to be a teacher of the Word. Maybe he wants you to spend your life in the Word. That's where our life is found. Our our life is found in Jesus, the living Word. How do you get to know Jesus? Right here. Jesus is in the Old Testament in every book. He's in the New Testament in every book. I hope he's in your heart. Let's pray. Father, you are so amazing in your great generosity and your grace that you have for everyone. You've taught us that if we know Jesus and we know you, that's eternal life. And if we know you and your Son, we already have eternal life. And if we, be- we love one another and believe in you, you've told us that we've already passed out of death into life that we will not have to face the judgment because we've already faced it. And we place ourselves now, Father, again and again under your judgment, under the judgment of the Word. I pray that you will speak to each one that's here, that we will turn back to you and repent. And take the wonderful good news that Jesus died for everyone's sin out to the world. Such a wonderful message. We thank you for him who makes it possible. We thank you that he is the son of man who rode upon the clouds and came up to you because he had been sacrificed before you. And we praise you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.